And so we're going to be obedient to the Spirit. And we're going to, if you all would just bow your heads and your hearts and just submit to the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room tonight. We thank you so much for this spirit of excitement that we feel tonight. This spirit of peace that's just permeating this place. It's, it's exciting and it's fun. But we also invite this spirit of forgiveness. And we ask that you prompt our hearts if we have not forgiven anyone, especially ourselves, for a mistake, a blunder, a flat-out sin. And we receive, we receive your forgiveness that you died for on the cross. It's purchased. Just like we received a Christmas present, we receive your forgiveness, and we purposely forgive ourselves for our shortcomings. And we release that. We let it go. We kick it out of our mind. We kick it out of our hearts. We're not going to think about it anymore because it is covered in the blood. It is covered in the blood. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for that forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Okay, we are going to start on section three of eight, expectations. But before we do, and this has to do with expectations, we're up here on this stage with these steps, and it reminds me of a story when I was about 10 years old, I walked on crutches. And Have you guys ever seen those wooden forearm crutches? Not the kind that go under your arm, but they kind of go around your forearm here. Well, that's what I... I uh, was walking around on, had braces, and wisdom had not yet caught up, to, caught up to me yet. And so it was a lot of fun for me to go from steps and just kind of jump off with my crutches and catch myself with my crutches and get the oohs and ahs of all my friends and the terrors of all the grandmas and whatever in the church. And this one time, uh, feeling very brave, and it was in the middle of a... Uh, uh, church service, and I don't know what the pastor was saying, but I was already setting up my next jump. I was kind of like the evil Knievel of the dude on crutches. Should have sold tickets, I know. But uh, there was a certain set of stairs in this church. It was 13 steps. And I had built up from four, <laughs> four or five steps, and I thought, if I could do four or five, surely I could do 13 steps in one bound. Right? I mean, you got to have faith. Leap out. Mm. So as soon as uh, church was over, I made sure, you know, certain people were watching and all. On the top step, I jumped off with my one good leg, stretched out my crutches like the condor, and here comes the ground. I thought, man, that's coming fast. I put my crutches down, and those wooden crutches snapped, and I went, Pop right on my chest, right on that concrete down there. Bounced like a 10-year-old does. And of course, all the grandmothers are screaming and whatever. And my father, so wise as he was, he came over 
checked me out. See, that wasn't bleeding or broken. I was just, my pride was, was busted up. And he implanted in me a lifelong wisdom. He said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And then get back up. And boy, did that infuriate all these grandmas and granddads. This poor, crippled old boy fell down the steps and whatever. You got to coddle him. You got to, you know. No, he says, you made a mistake. Now get back up. And that is a life lesson for all of us. Whether we're a dumb 10-year-old taking a flight off a top step or we make a stupid mistake at work or with our family or business or whatever, if you fall down and you bounce, all right, put self-pity to the side and get back up, right? What does it say about a, uh, a righteous man when he falls? Gets back up seven times. So we're going to start out with that. On your notes, we're going to do a quick review here, all right? We're, we're building these children sort of like a house, okay? Uh, I'm a builder, as you guys know, so I'm kind of thinking this this area. First one is revelation. It's sort of like the idea of a building. Okay, there's nothing concrete. It's just in your mind. Uh, number one the, uh, is the truth about our kids is what we can't see yet. It's not what's there. It's what we can't see yet. The key to re- uh, receiving revelation, what is it? You have to be a, say it please, a seeker and uh, then you have to ask specifically, right? And why do we need revelation? It's because it's the building of this building process. It's the beginning of this building process. It comes like inspiration or a divine idea. It's very important that you get this idea about your kids that is based on how God sees them and not how you see them or how you think they're going to turn out. Just like all me, you know, they're all going to be rotten and whatever. No, you need to see God's idea for your kids. Then in imagination, okay, it's sort of like the blueprint of a building. There still is nothing there, but you take this divine idea and you start meditating on it in your imagination. The imagination is the developing of the divine idea. The word imagination really means conception, and we're taking that seed, that idea of revelation into the womb of our mind, and growing it with our imagination. Very important. What are you imagining your kids to be like? Not what they are, but what they're going to be like. Okay? Uh, What are you conceiving in your mind? Is it life or is it death? And this goes beyond just our kids. It goes to our health. Oh, I'm probably going to die when I'm about 60 years old. And then you start thinking about that. Oh, we're probably our business is going to go under. No, don't conceive and don't imagine death. Imagine life. I imagine great things for my country. I imagine that modern day Pauls are going to come out of ISIS. I imagine that uh, Jesus is going to be revealed to those people over in, in, in the Middle East, and they're going to turn from hatred into love, and they're going to be the missionaries of the world. Come on, let's imagine that instead of... And I forgive these people out in California that have exercised their hate. I forgive them and I release them and I release Jesus' revelation to that whole group in the name of Jesus. Somebody agree with me on that. 
Okay, imagination is a blueprint of what your kids will be. Okay, and you can kill or abort the imagination with doubt. Now, my kids can't turn out that way. My life's not going to turn out that way. You've just aborted your, your imagination, child. Number seven, who is the father of your ideas, okay? Or what is growing inside of you? Is it life or is it death? Then we talked about authority. Authority is like a building permit. Ray, do you need a building permit to build something? And if you don't, you're going to get in trouble, right? But you have to say, I have the authority to build this building, so I'm going to take that authority in the spirit, in the soul, and in the body. You have to order it. Then we're going to go to covenant love, and Claire's going to remind you guys about covenant love. Okay, so once you have the blueprint and you've taken the authority, you have to um, post that building permit, take authority in the spirit, soul, and body of your kids, and then you start building your foundation. Covenant love is 100% and 100%. Even if they do nothing, you're agreeing to do it all. So we both do it all. If you fail, I'll step in and I'll take care of it. Covenant love is a decision not based on emotion. There's absolutely no emotion in covenant love. as a well-built foundation on a house. The reason for covenant love is lasting relationships. And we build lasting relationships to build intimacy. And then we build intimacy to reproduce ourselves. And we want to really reproduce the love of God and let that flow through us is the ultimate goal. And so how do we operate in covenant love as we look up at what the Father is doing and we do what he is doing. And then our job is to reveal the Father to our children so that then they also can look up and see what the Father is doing. Amen. So we got the idea. We got the building permit, our authority. And now we have laid our foundation. We're putting up our first wall. And this is expectations. And again, we raise our kids in three different areas. Please tell me what they are. In uh, spirit, in the soul, and the body. Okay, so we're going to be covering that tonight. When Jonathan was very young, and yes, I have his permission to share this. He had a very difficult time telling the truth. For some reason, everything had to be a lie. Everything was, he wanted to tell us what he thought we wanted to hear. And this puzzled Claire and I. Um, and because we knew it was, a, it was a problem in all three areas of his being, his spirit, his soul, and his body. Number one, I had learned that we as parents should not pass judgment, but we should ju judge or observe his behavior. There is only one judge. All right. We can observe a lie, but we cannot say you're a liar. We can say you're having trouble in school, but I can't call you stupid or an idiot. That has put an identity on that child. And the only identity I am allowed to put on my children is the identity that agrees with the Father God already. If he says, they're not sick, 
then I said, you're not sick. Okay? You may be acting sick, but you're not sick. Okay? Uh, Number two, identity versus behavior. It is up to God the Father to assign or declare our identity. Declare comes out of your mouth. And it is up to us to agree with the Father on what he declares is our identity. All right? That goes for you guys too. All right? You guys aren't dumb. You're not poor. You're not, you know, going to die. You need to find out what your identity is with because you're actually judging yourself. And you're not even allowed to do that. You're allowed to agree with the identity that God has put on you. He is the judge, and he calls you righteous. So my only agreement with God is you are righteous. You are whole. You are wealthy. You are empowered because that is what your identity is. Don't judge yourself. Number three, remember the word. Remember, words have power, and many times we are condemning with our words when we should just be making an observation. Again, lie versus liar. If they are caught in a lie, okay, it's an observation. But you cannot say they are a liar. Anybody getting that? Proclaim what you want them to be, not what they are acting like in the moment. John seven twenty four. Do not judge according to appearances in the flesh but judge with righteous judgment or heavenly or spirit. If I'm in the spirit, what am I looking at? I'm looking at the Father. He sees them as righteous. They may be acting like a rebel, but they're not. They are righteous. Amen. Like Pastor A says, good preaching, Pastor. Good preaching, yeah. Goodness from God versus judgment from you. How do people come to Repentance, somebody. It's been preached so much up here. God's goodness. Same with our kids and same with us. All right, Romans 2, 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Do you despise it? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. If your children are acting like hellions, don't... Judge them there. The goodness of God changing their mind will lead them to righteousness. Amen? Under that one, number one, I spoke words of life to Jonathan in in proclaiming his future. I could have condemned them by declaring him a liar. What change would that have brought? Nothing. Condemnation. Death. My dad thinks I'm a liar. I guess I'm going to be a liar for the rest of my life. No. The goodness, number two, the goodness from God is what leads us to repentance or changing our mind. Our path does not change. Number three, our path does not change until what changes? Somebody say it. Thinking. Our thinking changes. There's another word for that. It starts with an R. David? Repentance. Our path does not change until our thinking changes. If you want your kids to change, change their thinking. You're not a liar. And I told that to Jonathan. 
And I told it to his spirit and his soul and his body. You are not a liar. You're acting out of character. I don't know why you're doing this. You are a truth teller. I commanded it. He heard it in his emotions and in his body. Okay, a question. Have you passed judgment on a child in one or more areas in their life? If you have, you need to change your thinking. Question, what is their identity according to God? And if you don't know, just go to the Father. Look up. Say, how do you see me? How do you see me? How do you see my kids? How do you see my wife? Just look up. Amen. Okay, so going along with that, um, we need to choose how we talk to our kids. Like he was saying, don't condemn them. But the idea is to speak words of life. You know, whoever uh, came up with the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, uh, that's the biggest lie of all time. I mean, how many of you can think of something that a parent or a friend or somebody that you loved said to you, and it still hurts, maybe years later? Words really have power, and we need to think about what's coming out of our mouths as we speak to our kids, okay? Uh, as parents, number four, we need to make sure that the words we speak lift our children up instead of tearing them down. Okay? Whenever you correct your child, you need to do it with love, with a kind voice, never with judgment or harshness. Because even when we're frustrated, sometimes, you know, we want things might slip out. And if they do, you're a human being. Go to them and say, I'm sorry, that's really not who you are. Apologize, because we're human too. And when we apologize to them for when we slip up, it gives them permission to slip up and shows them how to repent from their mistakes. So be that example and show them how it's done. Number five, we have the power to start them on a journey of growth in the Lord or keep them in bondage to their weakness. If you are condemning and using your words to tear them down, what hope do they have when their authority thinks that of them? I mean, if, if you as their authority are saying, you are this, well, then it must be true. How, how can I get around that? But if you as their authority is saying, I see that you've done this, but I really believe you're this, then they have the opportunity to take that and change. Okay. Number six, if you look at each weakness as an opportunity for growth, it becomes easier to speak encouragement in that area. And again, it's all about you can give them the hope of it's possible to change. Okay? Yeah, you told a lie, but you know what? You can do better next time. I know you've got better things in you. God has plans for you. And the devil's trying to get you off that path. But you can do this with the power of God. I believe in you. You'll do better next time. So even when they mess up, use it as an opportunity to move on and grow in that area. And number seven, look at every opportunity for growth instead of labeling the child. Kind of reiterating what we've been saying. Use the opportunities of misbehavior to remind them who they truly are. And they're not acting like their true identity. So are there some areas in your children's character that you need to speak words of life to? 
Maybe there's something that you've kind of in your mind labeled, well, my kid always does this, and they're probably always going to be that way. Well, think about changing your thinking, and what does God have for them in that area of their life? Be specific, and see what you can speak into their life of, this is going to get better. I see a great future in this area of your life, and go on from there. Amen. All right, we're going to move on to expectations in the soul. We dealt with the spirit. We need to see who they are in the spirit and declare that. We are expecting them to live up to their identity. Take responsibility. If somebody doesn't take responsibility, there will be death. If a child is born and a parent or someone doesn't take the responsibility to take care of that child, then there will be death. If a citizen of a country refuses to take care of themselves and that country doesn't take that responsibility, then more than likely that citizen will die. Okay, There is someone in this church that takes responsibility. He does the hard things that somebody else won't do. If he doesn't do it, there will be death of this church. We are telling, as our kids are getting older, okay, we will leave a responsibility out there and say, it's up to you to take it or not. I can't force a responsibility on you because then I would be responsible for forcing you to do what was right. That would be my responsibility, right? So I'm telling my kids, you need to go out and actually grab that responsibility, And when you do, then maturity comes in. Sometimes responsibility, there's some pain or there is a burden. There is a weight. But with that weight comes a responsibility. And that's what we are trying to get our children to be is responsible, right? Number one, responsibility is like a baton in a relay race. The child or the the parent has the responsibility we raise them, we feed them, we clothe them, we take care of them. But there is that we have this baton of responsibility that we are holding out to them. Will you please take this one day, right? The race starts, a parent has a responsibility of the baton. But there comes a time in this parenting race that we're looking to hand off that baton to the child and let the child finish the race. If a child drops the baton... In the handoff, the parent is there to support the child, hear me, as the child picks up the baton. Did you get, the, did you get what I said there? The parent didn't pick it back up. The parent encourages the child to pick back up that responsibility. Number two, the problem comes when the child refuses to take responsibility. This is why you have 40-year-olds acting like children because they have refused to take the responsibility and the responsibility then is carried by an elderly parent. It's not right. You need to give them that. And if they drop it, you tell them to pick it up. No, you're not moving back into my house. You go get five jobs if you have to. You pay your bills because I want you to mature into the person you're wanting to be. 
Number three, maturity only comes when the weight of that responsibility is carried. And yes, there is a weight. And as a parent right now of children that are leaving my house, it is hard for me to see my kids take that weight of I have to pay the bills. I, as a daddy, want to jump in there and help them and rescue them. That wouldn't be love. I need to let them feel that pain, feel that weight of saying, yes, this is mine. And guess what, church? We also have a responsibility, a weight of carrying our responsibility in the spirit here. All right? That has to do with prayer. That has to do with showing up on Wednesdays. I know you guys are tired, but you're taking a weight of responsibility here, and I, <clears throat> and I thank you for it. Number four, making, uh, make the mistake make a mistake of a teachable moment so they can pick up that responsibility of the baton again. If they do make a mistake, don't condemn them. Don't judge them saying, hey, here's how you pick it up. You're going to pick it up. You're going to clean up the mess. You're going to do it because the maturity is there with that weight. Number five, during the child's mistake, do not pick up the responsibility that belongs to your child. If they make a mess in the kitchen, we have a story in our book called The Dried Pancake Batter. One morning, the kids decided to make us pancakes, and they were pretty young. And so Claire and I were just sitting back at the table watching the grenade of pancake batter go everywhere. And they're just having a good old time and bringing us these burnt offerings of pancakes. And we choked them down wonderfully. And it's like, this is great. You guys are the best cook. But as they're cooking and as they're going off to play, I noticed that the pancake batter is still there. Okay? It was an immature mistake. I didn't get after them, but I didn't clean it up. I let it stay there all day to get nice and hard and crunchy. And I said, are you guys going to clean this up? Yes, we are. So right before they were going to bed, it's like, guys, you're going to clean up this pancake batter. The weight of their mistake. Was it sin? No. Was it immaturity? Yes. But they needed to realize that their actions needed to be cleaned up. And so they took out the jackhammers and the chisels and... They cleaned up that dried-on, crusty batter. When's the best time to clean up a mess? Immediately. What was I trying to teach them? Clean up your mess immediately. It's a lot easier to clean up that batter when it's nice and moist. If you make a mess, deal with it immediately and don't let it sit there. So that weight of that pancake batter was on them, and I told them, pick up your baton and clean up the mess. Taking, the taking, and the maturity go hand in hand. The question, are you assisting your child in the race toward maturity, or are you running the race for them? All right, here's Claire. All right, so the next part um, is kind of one of my favorite parts. The title is, Are You Creating Peace or Problems? And this is kind of a mantra in our house and has been for years. With three kids in three and a half years, there's a lot of opportunities for problems. And so one of the things I taught them when they were young was, are you creating peace or are you creating problems? 
I also use this in my classroom. I'm a teacher. I have 22 students that I'm responsible for, and I have them all day, every day. And at the beginning of the year, I share a similar vision that I shared with my kids when they were little. And I said, what do you want our classroom to look like? What do you want your family to look look like? Do you want there to be fighting all the time? Do you want there to be harsh words, angry kids? Or would it be nicer if we chose our words carefully and treated each other well and got along pretty well? Well, they generally like the second idea a lot better. And I said, well, okay, that's great. I I would really like a peaceful house or classroom too. But it kind of takes some effort to do that. You don't have to be best friends with everybody in my class, but you have to be kind and you have to learn how to get along with each other. And so I communicated with them a vision. So number one, the vision starts with mom or dad, but the children must share in the vision or it won't work. You have to communicate what it could look like in both directions. And hey, let's choose peace. Number two, it takes time and effort to impart your vision of peace and show kids how their actions help or hurt the situation. Everything that happens when you interact with somebody can affect your relationship with them for good or for bad. And no matter what they do, you have a choice on how you're going to react. And it took years of training. And we still train occasionally, but it's a lot better now and how to react. So, number two, it takes time and effort to impart your vision of peace, show them how their actions help or hurt the situation. And number three, this principle only works when kids understand their part in creating peace and fulfilling your vision. So, the question is, what is your vision of a peaceful family, and how will you communicate that to your family? And so part two is you have choices to make and work to do. Once the whole family has a vision of what things could look like, the next step is working toward creating that vision in reality. And yes, it's working. Hebrews 12:14 says we should pursue peace with all men. It doesn't say we should hope for peace with all men. It doesn't say we should think about peace with all men. We have to pursue it. That means going after something. When you think of pursuing, you're thinking of running, chasing after it. Effort. It doesn't just happen. So each member of the family has the power to influence how close your real life is to that vision with every choice that they make. So number two, some days will be better than others, but as everyone, mom and dad included, practices making the house more peaceful, you will see more and more days of peace than problems. When the problems do show up, if you've spent the time coaching your kids on how to handle them, they'll become less and less, and things get better and better as time goes on. Don't give up. Number three, we need to teach our children to stop and think before they take action or speak words that will make the situation worse. 
So how hard are you willing to work to create peace in your house? And then the third part of it is coming in the opposite spirit. Boy, try to teach your young kids this one. It takes a while. It takes repetition. It takes practice. It takes coaching over and over and over. Turning away wrath with a gentle answer is a choice that you and your kids learn to make in order to create peace in the house. Many times I've broken up an argument between the kids and the first thing out of their mouths, he started it. She hit me. She took my thing. And you know what? They did. They were right. He did start it. She did take the toy. She wasn't very nice. But how are you going to react when they act that way to you? There's where the coaching comes in. Because you know what? Out in the world, people are not going to be nice. They are going to take your thing. They are going to start the argument. What are you going to do? How are you going to react to them to create peace in the situation? So number two, the key is how am I going to respond to people when I am offended? Even as adults, this is one of the hardest lessons in life. So... Step three, the first thing I do when dealing with this type of situation is I agree with them. You're right. He started it. You're right. She was mean to you. Because they need to have that acknowledged. It happened. You're absolutely right. You're telling the truth. But then I tell them your reaction to your brother, your sister, your coworker, your parent, whoever it is, was not okay. You have control over your reaction to them. So there's a better way to deal with it. I have them look at the response to the situation, say, how could you have responded better? I'll deal with them. If you have the authority to deal with the other person, you need to go deal with them. But right now we're dealing with you and your reaction and how could you have done a better job? So the question is, what reaction should you and your children have when you are offended? So part four, if you choose to create problems, because sometimes they do. You've talked to them. You've said you were not right in your reaction, and they're still mad, and they still feel completely justified that they should have hit back or whatever it is. Well, okay, they are going to have those days. Okay? They're kids. They're humans. The key is, first of all, instruct them to separate themselves from everyone else and have some quiet time with God and ask God to change their heart because they know there's not peace. They know that that's not okay. And so something needs to change. So the first step is ask them, God, please help me change my heart. Okay? Until the situation is right, there is still work to be done. The quiet time is useful in several ways. If the child has been trained not to get into self-pity or self-righteousness, we've had that issue before, okay? Send them off to quiet time, and all they do is you can tell they leave with the attitude, well, I'll have my quiet time, but I was really right, and they really. And you can tell when they're in that spirit, if they are corrected, okay? That is not the spirit of God. That is not creating peace. Let's look at it again. Okay? 
So, number three, throughout the whole process, communicate that you love them, you want the best for them, which includes peace with others in the home. The more you practice, the easier it becomes. Sometimes you'll leave a situation thinking, it didn't happen this time. We did not get to a state of peace. It's okay. That's going to happen sometimes, but don't let it make you give up on the next time. Okay? Number four, this is a skill to be learned, and the maturity will be developed over the course of years. Don't give up. So are there any areas in your child's life that are counterproductive to peace? What might be the root of that issue? Is it pride? Are they just feeling hurt and kind of self-pity? Or is there self-righteousness? Okay. Sometimes we need to cry. Sorry. Yeah. Isn't that good? Are you creating peace or problems? Can you take that to work? Get your boss in the quarter. Are you creating peace or problems, sir? And we need to have words. Go to go to your room and hear God. But really, isn't that a life lesson, though? Creating peace or problems. What am I doing in this situation? What's my attitude? Do I need to? Yes, they were wrong. They cut me off. I shouldn't have flipped them off again. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> Good stuff. Okay, so we've dealt with expectations in the spirit. We've done our spirit work. Then their soul, which is their mind, their will, taking responsibility. Now their body, expectations in the body. This one is... We're, we're dealing this with a heart issue, okay? Because I know styles and um, different families have different measures for what is modest. Please keep that in mind as I'm talking. Put down the rotten tomatoes. How we dress matters for one reason. Because of who we represent. All right? If you're in Africa... You're going to represent the Lord in the way you dress in Africa. If you're in the Philippines, you're going to be representing the Lord on the way you dress. You hear what I'm saying? If you're in um, Holland, in Amsterdam. I had a friend when I was in Youth with a Mission. Guy was about 6'5", 300 pounds. Spiked hair, green spiked hair. Piercings, uh, you know, the boots that came up to the knees and stuff. And he was representing the Lord because he was ministering to the, to the punk rockers in Amsterdam. His heart was right. He looked kind of weird to us folks in North Texas. But he dressed the way the people could hear the message. You know what I'm saying? If I came just like this, they would, there would be a block. His heart was right in the way he dressed. In my house, when we dress for church, I have three rules before they leave the house. Okay, I ask the whole family, are you, it's number one, when we dress for church, I ask my whole family, are you dressing for people to look at you, or are you dressing to direct their attention to the Lord, all right? This means three things. Are you modest? And again, modesty 
kind of changes. But if they're going, if people are going to be looking at you instead of looking at the Lord, question your heart. Does your style put the attention on you? And then number three, are you dressing and smelling like a bum? It could go the other way, right? You're so disheveled. You haven't showered in two weeks. You haven't shaved. You haven't taken care of yourself that you're an, actually a distraction to the people that are here to worship the Lord. Where's your heart in the matter? I grew up in the 70s, okay? Hippie child. My name was Moonbeam, and I changed it to, to James. No, I'm kidding. Um, and in that time, hair was a big deal. You guys remember that? And man, I thought the coolest thing in the world was to wear your bangs down to here, right? And um, just because that's what all the cool kids were doing. But my parents, who were older, saw that long hair equaled rebellion. Do you guys remember that? All right. I was 12 years old. I didn't, I wasn't rebelling. I was just, I thought it was cool. All right. I know that now, but as you look some look at someone, don't judge them, all right, for how they wear their hair. Please don't judge me for how I wear my hair. I have choices, and I chose bald because it's so easy to take care of. No, when you look at somebody, don't say, "Well, he is a child of the seventies, eighties, nineties, or whatever." As we're coming into church, watch your own heart. Okay? Again, we're not, a, we're not supposed to be judging by the way they dress or the way they look. Religion over relationship. Okay? Um, I think you know by now I'm really not a big fan of rel- religion. All right? I think it's, it is the relationship of death. If you have to follow all these rules, you will fail, which means you're not going to make it. Where relationship of covenant love says... You're probably going to fail, but I'm going to love you anyway, right? This is the heart when it comes to how we dress. Number one down there, it is the heart behind how you dress that matters. Number two, if you're trying to seduce others, and guys, this just isn't in church. This is out in the world as we represent Jesus. But if you're trying to seduce others with the way you dress, you need to check your heart. Is it lustful? I know that's kind of hard to hear. All right? Number three, if you're trying to show off your wealth by the way you dress, is your heart prideful? Where's your heart? Okay? Am I buying this new thing because I want to show off that I just got a raise? Eh, check your heart. Number four, if you don't care what you look like, and you wear old, dirty clothes that stink, then is your heart slothful? Ouch. Dang. Here comes James with his wheelchair, going to roll over your toes. Claire, Claire taught me that one. She says, when I go to Walmart, i got to represent Jesus. And that means... Maybe taking off the sweatpants and putting on something a little bit nicer. Maybe combing the hair and putting on something nicer because she's representing the Lord. All right? She taught me that one. So let's 
check our heart on how we dress, but also check our heart on how, if we're judging others on how they dress. Not allowed. Question. How we dress reflects our heart. So how does your heart look today? All right. And the last part to address is time to stop crying. Sometimes kids need to cry. Either they've been hurt or they're frustrated and they need to get it out. But sometimes kids can learn to add a little extra drama to that crying for a little added effect. And sometimes it becomes a tool to manipulate. So what do you do then? We've learned that a child will often begin crying out of hurt, frustration, anger, But what started out as crying over being sorry for the actions sometimes changed to, I'm really mad at you, so I'm just going to keep on crying. I will cry forever, and you'll hear just how upset I really am that you dared to punish me. When this happens, James or I have told them that they need to get themselves under control and stop crying. So number one, when a child chooses to continue crying and refuses to stop, They are in rebellion to your authority. Now, if you are a discipler, you might have a disciple that wants to keep crying about something. And you can have the authority to say, okay, you were upset. It's time to stop crying about that, though. Even adults sometimes whine a bit too much. Number two, they tend to think it is a sneaky way to cuss you out. And they can blame it on being upset over their punishment. When children react with anger, they're really saying that they don't believe they were wrong or that you don't have the right to give them the consequences for their actions. It's kind of a, you're not the boss of me mentality in very immature way. Number three, if left unchecked, this can lead to an independent, unteachable heart. If you let them get away with that subtle, I'm going to whine and complain because of this hard thing, it can lead to a hardened heart against authority. If you recognize that they're crying beyond what is reasonable, you need to address it in a way that goes to their heart. Tell your children you recognize that they're crying out of anger. Go back to the original offense. Say, did you do this? Yes, I did. Okay, so should there have been consequences? Yes. Okay, so these are the consequences. And I, as your parent, am responsible for making sure that you understand that that actions have consequences. And I have given you those consequences. I would be a bad parent if I didn't teach you this. I love you so much that I want to make sure you stay on a path that leads to good things. So when you make bad choices, there are consequences. Number four, ask your child, why are they really angry? Are you angry that you did the action? Are you angry that you got caught or that you got punished for it? And the answer could be any of those three. This brings out the heart of the matter and tends to lead to true repentance. 
but you've got to get to the heart and you've got to have them recognize where their emotions are coming from and where their heart is in that matter. So then the question is, how do I deal with a child who adds drama to a situation that should be filled with repentance? Isn't that good? Okay, so we're building our house. We're building, we're constructing these kids. All right, we have the idea. We laid out the blueprints. We have the authority, the building permit. We put our foundation of covenant love in our first wall. Now, if you're building something, if you hire a builder, Ray, if you hire a builder, and they put up something shabby, don't show up for work, does that meet your expectations? Right. So you as the boss need to communicate your expectations. It's a very common sense thing that many parents don't do. Communicate your expectations to your children in the spirit and in their soul and in their body. Now, we've just hit a couple of these. There's, there's a lot more in the book and all. Oh, boy, that sounded like I was selling it. No, I'm really not. There's a lot, lot more here. But expectations, they're worthless if you don't communicate them. All right? Will you guys commit to communicate your expectations? All right? We always wrap up with a time of forgiveness. If the Holy Spirit has prompted you somehow saying, you know, I haven't lived up and communicated my expectations, now is the time to forgive yourself. If a parent or a leader, a boss, a pastor has not lived up to expectations, now is the time, guys. Let's take a moment right now. Father, we forgive ourselves for falling short on expectations. We release that in the name of Jesus. We forgive others that have not lived up or maybe even communicated expectations, but then punished us for not living up to their expectations and we didn't even know about it. And uh, we forgive them. We let them go. It is time to let them go. And we bless them. We are not going to hold this stuff on anymore. In the name of Jesus. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much for coming. And I think we'll be back here next week. Amen. If you guys have any questions or want to talk to us, we'll be up here. Love you guys.